0: Friends, would you please stand with me as we read the Lord's Word this morning. We're reading uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. Again, let's give attention to the Lord's Word. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. This is the Lord's word. Would you please be seated, friends, and let us go to the Lord again in prayer. Again, we thank you, Father, for your word. Um, We ask that your blessing be upon it, upon the servant, and upon these your people, That you would help us, Lord, to stay awake, um, to be attentive to your word, and to listen uh, conscientiously to the word. I pray that your blessing be upon it. We come and ask your help, knowing, Lord, that we are dust. We are weak. And so we pray, O Spirit, that you would come and be present with us now to help us handle this word and to uh, respond to it faithfully. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter wrote, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Peter, penning the very word of God, writes these things to struggling, persecuted Christians that they might behave according to God's order and so that they might endure rather than be full of anxiety, fretting about the future, that they might cast their anxious, ridden thoughts and feelings upon their God, because he cares for his people. He cares for you, friends. The Lord cares for you. He has regard for you and what it is you are going through today. And as I think about this and, and as I prepare for the worship service, my brain goes through all the people in the congregation. And I think about the people who are struggling uh, with finances. I think about the people who are struggling with frustrations with family members and struggles with their faith and struggles of loneliness. and um, and struggling with health-related issues. We think about how many people struggle with health-related issues. And I would feel at times that the Lord somehow doesn't care for us. Psalmist, Lord, are you there? I've been crying out to you. Where are you in all of this? But the Lord is not removed from his people but cares very deeply for his people fathers and mothers you understand this very thing you see your child hurting and you want to fix it for them you want to protect them you want to do what is right for them so God cares for us and he cares perfectly for us And most of all he cares for his people listen to me not to let them spend an eternity separated from him suffering the fires and torments of hell forever We think of the Lord providing for our daily needs. Do you stop to think how the Lord, even then, in in the early chapters of Matthew, as the Lord Jesus has just been brought into this world, has, has taken on human flesh, that even before then, that the Lord was planning and securing your salvation because he loved you and he cared for you. Matthew, as he writes here, he continues to write the history of the Lord God himself taking upon himself uh, human flesh. and in these three verses, he informs his readers and us that Jesus Christ is the true Son of God, and he's protected by God the Father, so that we ourselves would be delivered, so that we ourselves would be delivered protected and made safe from the pains of hell forever. We look briefly here at how the Lord protected him, but even more importantly, why he protected him. This is Matthew's point. Listen to verse 13 again as we see how the Lord cares for his child. We read this. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. As the Lord had miraculously led the wise men uh, with the start of the place where the child was, so once again we see that the Lord sovereignly intervenes in history to direct his servants and their care of the Christ child. We are told, after the wise men had gone, that night they were warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod. So Joseph, too, is brought a message by the Lord's angel. We are told, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. It is a dream. It is a dream that God sends, uh, gives to Joseph. He sends word to Joseph via one of his messengers, one of the angels. It is not the angel's message. Understand that. The angel is not acting independent, but is a minister of God. To minister to Joseph and Mary and to the Christ child, it is the Lord's message. It's communicated to Joseph in a dream. And I want us to be careful with this because we look at this and say, oh, well, God's speaking to Joseph in dreams. God must speak to me in dreams, too. Not so. Not so. This is an extraordinary case, and this is prior uh, to, to the fullness of who we know Jesus Christ to be. So we are still, if you were to break it down into Old Testament, New Testament times, this technically falls under Old Testament times. Um, Even though Christ has been born, God is still speaking to his people through visions and dreams. There has been this idea uh, in our days now that God still speaks to us in dreams and paranormal communications. We see uh, people referring to horoscopes and tarot cards, Ouija boards. I actually saw this. There was a... um, they're making Ouija boards for children now so that they can play with these things. Uh, palm readers, uh, claiming, people claiming to be spokesmen for God. Friends, all of those things are no more. If you have those things, and I'd really encourage you parents, as you talk to your children, don't let them get involved in that stuff. My mother rarely ever took a real hard stance on things. She was very easygoing. My father, on the other hand, was quite the opposite. My mother, would, but, but when my mother would say something really hard and fast, it always stuck. And she said to us, me and my two brothers, she said, do not play with those things. Do not go near them. And I would, I would usher, utter that same advice to us. Stay away from those things. Those, those are ways that we give Satan a foothold in our lives. Everyone's looking for a word from the Lord. I want to hear from the Lord. Friends, pick up and read your Bibles. That's not me being some uber conservative nut job. That's the teaching of Scripture. When we open ourselves up to those things, we open ourselves up to danger. Here, God has spoken to Joseph in a dream. We are told in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, we've covered some of this in our Sunday school classes, that God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, like we see here, him doing with Joseph, in these last days he has spoken to us in his son. That means those former ways are done. God is speaking to us now through his son, through the scriptures. And again, Paul would write in 2 Timothy All scripture is inspired by God, that is, God breathed, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The Lord no longer speaks to us in dreams and visions, but speaks to us in his word and has explained who he is through his son. The message that is given to Joseph is one given by God through the angel to Joseph, and it is a message of great urgency to Joseph from the Lord. Listen to his command. Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. Multiple commands here in his words. Commands given to Joseph. Again, take, flee, and remain. The Lord tells Joseph exactly what he wants him to do. Get up, get out of bed, take action. Take the child, take his mother, and flee to Egypt. To Egypt where once the people of Israel fled for safety from famine in their infant state, notice this, important, in their infancy, they also went to Egypt to be preserved, to have their lives preserved. And now where the child and his mother and Joseph would go for safety and remain, where they would stay put until the Lord tells them otherwise. And why is the reason uh, for them to go, why? For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. The picture we're given, and the picture as we read in verses 16 through 23, is that of Herod, obsessed with power and obsessed with himself, and he's going to search and act brutally, and will put to death a number of little boys, two years old and younger, in Bethlehem and its vicinity. Just like it happened in, in Egypt, where the Pharaoh says, Kill all the baby boys. We find these similarities in this text. But the Lord cares for his child. Notice this. He cares for the infant child, the Lord Jesus, and brings word to Joseph that he might act speedily in regard to the child. Beloved, being the Christ child is sent into the world to redeem sinners, you would think that he would have an easy path. Those who cared for him would have a quiet and easy life, that everything would be cushy and and, 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 and peaceable for them. After all, aren't they entrusted with the greatest gift ever given to man? Or you might suspect that the Lord could keep him, uh, Herod, from these things altogether. Why not just send one of your angels to take Herod out? We could just take care of matters that way so that Jesus and Mary and Joseph could have a peaceful life. But notice the Lord doesn't do that. He doesn't. The Lord does not keep them from the valley of the shadow of death. We see here that Jesus Christ is is subject to great humiliation. And being born, first of all, right? And being placed in a manger, greeted by shepherds, and now being hunted down by Herod and his soldiers. This shouldn't have to happen, should it? It is not necessarily God's will to keep even the most faithful and loyal servants from hardship and struggle. We often ask or wonder what we have done wrong when we suffer trials, and how sometimes we suffer because we deserve it, but this certainly is not one of those instances. But God ordained this event for his reasons. He does ordain difficult times in our lives as much as he does the pleasant ones. Isaiah would say this, I am the Lord and there is no other, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these. We see this plainly in this text. The Christ child would come and would experience hardship immediately in his life. And Joseph and Mary would experience hardship because the Lord had called them to it. Interesting how in God's providence, Joshua 15 would line up with this so well. The lot was given to uh, Judah for that region, and yet they wouldn't be able to deal with the Jebusites all their time. They would wrestle with people in their region. And here the Lord has done the same with Jesus. Interestingly, the line of the tribe of which tribe Judah Beloved, the Lord who ordains these events is also the one who cares for you in the midst of the trials, who tells you to come and to cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. I don't know what you're facing today. I know what some of you are facing. I don't know what all you're facing. I don't need to know what all you're facing, but what you do need to remember is that the Lord who's designed and placed your life where it is, the circumstances you are facing, These things, these trials that you are confronted with are from the hand of the Lord and they are designed for you in order to make in you the image of Christ. And he's doing these things precisely because he cares for you. He's not a God who is disinterested. In other words, like a negligent father or mother who lets their children go out into the garage and play with blowtorches and nails and razor blades He's interested in what's happening in your life. He's ordained these things that come about in our lives. And he's done it because, because he cares. He cares for us. So briefly, let me say, how do we, how do we make, the, you make the best of these difficult times? First of all, we remember who the Lord is. Remember that God is sovereign, which we plainly see in the text as he is the one who gives perfect instruction to Joseph so that Joseph may care for his family. He tells him what to do, get up, take, flee. He tells him where to go to Egypt. He tells him why, and he says, remain there. All of this, this whole message, everything about it, screams of the fact that the, that the Lord himself has ordained everything that's going on in Joseph and Mary and Jesus' life. And he's doing it for... Uh, He's doing it because he cares for them. The Lord is the master over what his people are going through. This should let us cause us to rest. I know it's difficult because we become uptight and we have in our brains something should work a certain way. And when it doesn't work the way we think it does, we become tied up in knots. But we must remember this as we go into this new year and as we hear of all the things, the rumblings of what, 2024, we get to anticipate, remember this, friends, that life comes through the hands of a loving God who is concerned that, you're, that you would reflect the image of Christ. And he ordains all of these things, Romans 8:28, And he does it for some purpose which is unannounced to you. So remember who God is. Secondly, take these matters to the Lord in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer, says the hymn. Paul would write in Philippians 4, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Remember who God is, the sovereign God who cares for you. Take your concerns to the Lord in prayer. And then, friends, you ready for this one? Simply do what he tells you to do. Simply do what he tells you to do keep your wits about you, and follow his word. When in a struggle, the wrong thing absolutely to do is to plug your ears and to run away from the Lord. That's the wrong thing to do. When in the heat of trial, go back to those basic things. Go to church, pray, trust the Lord, and do what he tells you. Love your wife, love your husband, love your children, die to yourself. Just continue to follow him. This is exactly what we see Joseph do. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't have one of those, huh? what are we going to do? Oh no, we've got to fight this thing. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He gets up, Mary, 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 get up. Get, get Jesus ready. I'll load up the donkey. we got to get out. I was just warned by the Lord. Okay, she gets up. She wraps the baby. She They put some bananas in fruit bars and things like this in their baskets and they head out the door to Egypt. They don't second guess. They don't presume upon the Lord. We are told Joseph got up, took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. He does not presume upon the sovereignty of God. You know what presumptions like. Well, God says he's going to save us. So I don't need to. I don't need to 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 worry about what's going to happen. You, you notice this again. This is one of those mysterious things with providence and predestination. We say, well, if God's already going to save them, I don't need to worry about sharing the gospel. Poppycock! The Lord tells you, you share the gospel. You share the gospel. You're not the Almighty. You don't know what the Lord's gonna do. We're in providence. Well, if he's gonna die, it doesn't matter. I've heard people say this. I can go sit out on the road, and if it's my time to die, I'm gonna die. And I go, Exactly, because the Lord's going to ordain a car to come and run over you in the street. You see that the idea that we somehow we know wiser or better than God. Friends, we do what the Lord tells us to do. God is totally sovereign. And what we see in this passage of scripture is a totally sovereign God giving instruction to a man who is responsible for his wife and his child, and the man and his wife and the child obey the Lord. He is totally sovereign, and man is totally responsible to obey his sovereign Lord, as the sovereign Lord incorporates creatures and in their behavior into his perfect and unchangeable will. God used a servant, Joseph, to obey his will to provide care and sustenance and safety for this child and his mother, and he takes them to Egypt where they would be safe from harm's way. The question is, why? Now, all that we have been talking about is legitimate. I believe this can be legitimately drawn from this. I'm not manufacturing or eisegeting, reading into the scriptures. What's not there? This is all there, plain in the word of God. I believe it's a faithful application. Why did the father, however, protect his son from Herod, and why did he have Joseph take him to Egypt? And again, let me say this. God cared for his son so that his son might deliver you, and that he might deliver me, so that you and I would be protected. Listen to 15b. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew writes that the whole reason this event occurred was to bring to pass in their fullest meaning the words of the Lord as spoken through the prophet Hosea. If you would turn with me to your Old Testaments and turn to Hosea chapter 11, it's Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, uh, turn to Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. We read this. When I, when Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Uh, William Hendrickson gives a nice summary I'd like to read to you of the book of Hosea. He writes, We are told that the prophet Hosea had married a certain woman by the name of Gomer. His wife was not true to him. She became a wife of whoredom. She went after other lovers and conceived children in adultery. Hosea, instead of completely rejecting his unfaithful wife, slips away to the haunt of shame, buys Gomer back for 15 pieces of silver, an omer and a half of barley, and mercifully restores her to her former position of honor. Israel, my friends, the nation of Israel is Gomer. Israel is like an unfaithful, adulterous bride to the Lord. In the same way Gomer acted towards Hosea, so Israel had acted towards the Lord. Hendrickson says again, just as Gomer had been enslaved by her lovers, so Israel would be enslaved by those nations in which it was putting its trust. So listen to verses 1 through 7 of Hosea. When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the bales and burning incense to idols. Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with the cords of a man, with bonds of love. And I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. They will not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria, he will be their king because they refused to return to me. The sword will whirl against their cities and will demolish their gate bars and consume them because of their counsels so my people are bent on turning from me. Though they call them to the one on high, none at all exalts him. Here Matthew quotes Hosea 11, 1 and sees in Jesus Christ the fulfillment of, of this verse but its immediate fulfillment was the nation of Israel itself Moses in Exodus 4 and 23 would write then you shall say to Pharaoh thus says the Lord Israel is my son my firstborn so I said to you let my son go that he may serve me Israel, the nation, the collective body of God's people, the church of the Old Testament, is called the Son of God and was brought forth from Egypt out from underneath Pharaoh in order to serve the Lord. But Hosea points out that though the Lord loved them, his son, and called him out of Egypt, they disregarded his prophets. He sent them to call them back to himself, but the more that they went uh, from him, Uh, the more that they called to them, the more they ran away from the Lord. They sacrificed to Baals. They burned incense to idols. While the Lord would nurture them and teach them to walk and feed them and release the yoke of slavery and led them with the bonds of love, they refused to return to the Lord their God. So the Lord would hand them over to Assyria and the sword would come against them. God himself is a faithful husband to an unfaithful Israel Just as in his tender love, Hosea restored Gomer so Jehovah would restore Israel's remnant. Israel was called to be a faithful son, freed from Egypt to serve the Lord. Not only did they not serve him, but they played the role of a harlot with the nations. My friends, Matthew is making a point to the Jews that he is writing to, uh, that the Jewish people have been unable to do what the Lord has required of them. Dispersion was the result of unfaithfulness on their part towards the Lord. Yet all that took place in verses 13 and 14 happened for this reason, that is to inform the Jews that Jesus Christ is the true Son of God and that what Israel could not do and would not do, that is serve the Lord in faithfulness, Jesus Christ has come to do, a faithful son who will restore the people of God to their God. Right? If suffering happens because of disobedience to the Lord, if exile occurred because they would not listen to the Lord and they would not heed the word of the prophets, the people got the just desert to their disobedience. It was sent into exile to serve under the Assyrian king. And to suffer. And no matter how the Lord called to them, they doubled down in their sin. And so the Lord handed them over. What the first son was incapable of doing, guess what? The real son, the true son, did. Again, again, truth concerning Jesus Christ is a whole different story than that of Israel. They would honor the Lord with their lips, but our Lord would honor his, the Father with his entire life. Jesus Christ is the true son brought out of Egypt. Beloved, what kind of religion does fallen man have to offer God? Our best attempts at devotion towards the Lord are weak and they're spoiled by our sin. Even our righteous works, says Isaiah, are like filthy rags. And would we boast in what we offer to the Lord? Will we speak as though we are better than the world around us with its lewd and, and, and godless lifestyle? There is no room for any of us to boast, for before the Lord we have nothing of which to be proud, nothing of which to exalt ourselves above our neighbors. It is not the works of your hands that you should be trusting in this morning. And as Matthew would be writing in chapter 2 here in these three simple verses, Jesus Christ came in order to fulfill a whole different function for us. The very thing we were un- incapable of doing, the very thing that Israel is un- incapable of doing, Jesus Christ came as that son who would be called out of Egypt. Now imagine that. What, what was supposed to happen after they were called out of Egypt? They're, suppo- they're given the law, right? They come through the Red Sea. Moses gives them the law. The covenant is, is done, blessings and curses. And they fall even before Moses is down Mount Sinai they're dancing around a golden calf what about this son who came out of Egypt Jesus Christ there was no golden calf there was no disobedience all that God required of his people that they were unable to do and perform Jesus Christ did his entire life. And this is just the beginning of his life, you understand. And what is his whole life but one of obedience to the Father, his active and passive obedience, his obeying in every thought, word, and deed, doing every command perfectly. When there was a pretty girl, Jesus never lusted after her. She might bat her eyes at him, he wouldn't take the bait. He might have had a bunch of bothersome siblings and he never pushed them down when his mom wasn't looking. He loved his siblings perfectly. Everything he did in thought, word and deed by what he did or didn't do, he did perfectly. And he did that, friends, for you and he did it for me. and Because we're like Israel of old, the Lord says, don't touch and you touch, you grab. Not Jesus. He is the perfect son. The perfect son who was brought out of Egypt in order to fulfill all righteousness on our behalf. No, friends, it's not the work of your hands. It's not the work of my hands, but it's the work of Christ's hands and what he did and then how he stretched them out on Calvary's cross. That's our hope. He is faithful to the Father, faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. He was kind, he was merciful and loving, a bruised reed he would not break, and a glowing wick he would not put out. He lived in complete accordance with the will of the Father so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Where they honored the Father with their lips, Jesus again honored the Father even unto the point of death, death on the cross. He fulfilled all righteousness, doing all that a righteous son should do, doing all that Israel should have done but didn't. And he brought salvation to all manner of people. Don't think for a second, my friends, that he doesn't care for you in the trials that you're going through. The fact that he gave his son, the fact that he would protect his son so he wouldn't die, so that he would come out of Egypt and f- fulfill all righteousness on our behalf. I don't know how else the Lord could say, I love my people and by the giving of his son and protecting him so that he, we could be delivered from the pains of hell. I would say that's love. Wouldn't you? I would say that's love. My friends... The father cared for his child so that you might be delivered. That's a good word. If you would, let's bow and let's pray. We thank you, Father, again for your word and for your loving kindness and for the giving of your son. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the true son of Israel, the one who would come out of Egypt and who would fulfill all righteousness unlike our forefathers, unlike us. We thank you for what you have done, and we pray, Father, that we would not look at Jesus merely as an example to be followed, but that we would look at Jesus Christ as our only hope of peace with you. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, and we pray that in the struggles that we all are facing of some variety or stripe, we pray that we would not grow discouraged but that we would remember that these things do come from your hand. And because you gave your son, we know that you care for us and you will bring us through these things. We give you thanks now in Jesus' name. Amen.